Please take out your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter. And we're going to look at the third sermon in a series that we started a few weeks ago entitled Winning at What Matters Most. And this morning, we're going to look at what really matters most is the heart. How my heart, your heart, how our hearts are to be before Christ in everything that we do. And I want you to understand that the story of Zacchaeus is a lot more than just a, it's just not just a children's story. You know, uh, if there was ever somebody who thought that doing things the way of the world and hitching yourself politically and economically to the world's plans and patterns was the way to go, it was Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus is uh, a person who believed that abandoning his heritage and seeking the ways of the world were going to help him get ahead in life. And he literally sought everything that the world said was important, and he got it. But what he found was that that's not the most important thing in life. And so this morning as we work through this story in the Gospel of Luke, Luke records it. Luke is writing to the culturally elite. He's writing to educated people uh, who were part of the Gentile life. That's who he's trying to reach out to and, and, and address and touch is those people who, who wonder and have questions. Is Christianity really good for our society. And so Luke is writing to help them understand his uh, truth, uh, the truth of who Jesus is, that, that people who really embrace this heart change become not, not only great Christians, but they become better citizens, and they become people who are not to be feared, but people who are to be listened to. And so this morning as we work through this story, looking at what is most important in the heart of man. What should really matter most to us as we seek to win in the game of life, allow the truths uh, that, that are shared here, this encounter, this interaction between Christ and Zacchaeus uh, to teach us. If you have your Bibles open there, the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter, if you would, please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 1, he entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today I must stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain, he has gone to lodge with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look. I'll give half of my possessions to the poor Lord, and if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. You may be seated. and May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. There's some things that this passage teaches us about life. How do we win? How do we get ahead? Everybody wants to get ahead. We want to finish it first. We want to be the one that, that gets there and does that and, and, and accomplishes our purpose in life. What does this passage teach us about winning at what matters most? It teaches us that it's the heart that really matters. And the first thing that I want you to see in this passage of Scripture is 
is that the world cannot get you there. Look at verse 1. In verse 1, he entered through Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. Zacchaeus is described in a couple of different ways in those first four verses. The first thing we read about him is the Bible says that he was the chief tax collector. Now, the moment that any self-respecting Jew heard that, what they would have thought and what they would have understood and what they would have believed about Zacchaeus is that he was the chief compromiser. You see, to be a tax collector in that day and time, what they would do is they would find a person who was a part of the culture that was being ruled, in this case the Jews, and they would persuade them through money, they would persuade them to come over to their side using the Roman army as their strength and their backbone, and they would have sought to exhort taxes from the people. And a tax collector could do whatever he wanted to do. If the taxes were $50 a person, the tax collector could set the taxes at 100 and he got to keep anything that he collected over his bid. In fact, what the tax collector would do is he would pledge to Caesar, I can get so many dollars for you, and they would have bidding wars, and the person that got it was the chief tax collector, and anything he collected above that was his. And so Zacchaeus is described as a chief tax collector. What it meant was that people like Simon the Zealot, who was a part of the discipleship group, who was a part of Jesus' crowd, Simon would just as soon have assassinated Zacchaeus as he would have looked at him. In fact, Simon, described as Simon the Zealot, probably was a member of the Sicarii, which was a Pharisee, a Pharisaical group who were known for the little curved dagger that they would carry in their belt. And probably before Jesus got a hold of Simon the Zealot, Simon had at some point in time assassinated people just like Zacchaeus. We don't know that, but we know that he was pursuing the things of God with zeal. And what they would do is they would walk up, pull out their little curved dagger, stick it in in the crowd, put it back in and walk on and just leave the guy back there bleeding to death. And that's, that's who they were, okay? The Pharisees would have just as soon Zacchaeus be dead. They didn't like him. But then we read the second description. He was rich. In his mind, he had gotten everything that he wanted. He had gotten everything that he desired. His pursuit of power, his pursuit of politics, his using the world system had given him what he thought he wanted in life. But it wasn't enough. How do we know? Because he wanted to meet Jesus. He knew there was something else. He knew that the hole in his heart, that he had all the stuff of the world. He had power and influence and position and honor. He had all of those things. But there was something missing. And the very world that he sought to use shut him out. He couldn't see Jesus because he was a short man. And so he had to find a way. He ran, and it would have been undignified for a Jewish man in this day and time to run. He ran got ahead, climbed a tree so he could meet the man that might fill the hole in his heart. You and I have got to realize that the world's ways, the patterns of the world, the things of this world, we cannot use the methods of the world if we are part of the body of Christ. 
You and I have to learn that we have to do things. We have to pursue things according to God's way. Just because the world does it doesn't mean that it's okay for us. We've been called to be different, to be salt and light, to be set apart, to be unique. And that means that in my business, I need to conduct my business according to the principles of the word of God. In my family, in my home, in my marriage, in my parenting, in my neighborhood, all those things that I do. And most importantly, especially in the body of Christ. How we do things in here, how we treat one another, how we love one another, how we work and interact with our neighborhood and reach out to those people around us. It has to be God's way. But the reason that the church today, the body of Christ today worldwide is not making a bigger difference, especially here in America, is because instead of ignoring the ways of the world, we've adopted the ways of the world and baptized them. We're better sometimes at the ways of the world than the world is. And the word of God says absolutely not. That's not to be our pattern. There's a way that we are to interact. There's a way that we are to love. There is a way that we are to govern and to to do life. And the only way to do that is God's way. What he wants, what he desires, what he pursues. That has to be the focus of everything that we are. J.C. Ryle was a theologian in the 1800s, and he wrote a book, a classic, called Holiness. And this is what he says in his book. Thousands have trodden the path you are pursuing that have awoken too late to find it and in it the misery and eternal ruin. They have fought hard for wealth, honor, office, promotion, and turn their backs on God and Christ and heaven and the world to come. And what has been their end? Far too often they have found out that their whole life has been a grand mistake. They have learned the words of the dying statesman. The battle has been fought. The battle has been fought. And yet victory has not been won. Man, what are you pursuing in life? What are you chasing after? What is it that you and I are running after and and seeking to do according to the way of the world, according to to, to getting ahead, its principles, the things? The word of God challenges us that, that you and I must use God's ways and God's means, and you can't, we can't misplace our priorities because it's gonna cost us too much. See, hell's real. Eternity's gonna start for every single one of us. And there's only two options, in or out. You and I must understand the principle of Christ. And we see that in this second point. We look at it in, in verse 10. Jesus is speaking, red letters, for the Son of Man came, has come, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus Christ right here sets the beginning purpose for your life and for my life. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, his preferred name for himself, has come to seek and to save the lost. That's the beginning purpose. That's it. And and so I ask you, where are you in that purpose? Has there been a time in your life where you genuinely have been sought and genuinely been found? Not the knowledge of who Jesus is, but a relationship to him that has changed your heart. And we'll get, to, we'll get to that in a minute. We'll get to what the evidence of a changed heart is in just a moment in Zacchaeus' life. 
But has there been a time in your life where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ has pursued you and sought you and you came into a relationship with him that began to change the way you talk and the way you act and the way you think and the way you interact? It changes the way you watch TV. It changes the places you go. It changes how you eat. It changes your habits. It changes your soul. It changes your heart from the inside out. Has there been a time where you know that you were sought and found. Secondly, if you've been sought and found, if you know that you have a relationship to Jesus Christ, does the purpose that Jesus set set the tone for everything that you do? When you get up on Monday morning, are you on purpose with him to seek and to save the lost? Whatever you do, wherever you go, whatever work you have, do you understand God has put you there to be on mission with him? His purpose hasn't changed. The purpose of the church hasn't changed. It's been the same for 2,000 years, to seek and to save the lost. But what's happened is we've made the church more about us, and it's not. Hadn't changed. Still about the people outside who don't know. It's still about the people who need to know. It's about the people who need to change life. It's what the word of God says. And Paul writes, when he writes in 1 Corinthians 9, and he says, I have become all things to all men so that by all means I might save some. And then verse 23 And I do this because of the gospel that I may be a partner in its benefits. Have you ever thought about what it means to be a partner with Jesus Christ? January of 1986. I'm in the last semester of my college career. Football is over. I made a decision I'm not going to play baseball in the spring I'm just going to graduate and get on with my life. God has called me into the ministry. And at Austin College, we had this thing every year. We had a Jan term. And during the month of January, we would just take one class for four weeks. And it was a concentrated every day. You had to go and a concentrated class got one credit completely out of the way in four weeks. And you had to take three in your four years. Well, I'd already taken my three. So my senior year, my Jan term was going to be off. I was going to have the whole month of January to myself. I was going to get to finish deer season and then duck hunt. I was, I was going to, I was just, my, I had my January planned out. But my granddad had other plans. See, my granddad had taught school for 51 years at North Hopkins Independent School District. He had been the first teacher that that school district ever had. It was just one little classroom, and he taught, and he became principal, and he became superintendent. And during his tenure, they built the campuses of North Hopkins Independent School District, and he knew those buildings. And in December, they had completed a brand-new high school just behind the old high school, and they were going to sell the old high school for somebody for Demolition, lumber. And my granddad turned in a bid because he knew what that school was built. It was built out of two-by-fours that were still two-by-fours. Two-by-sixes and two-by-eights and two-by-tens and two-by-twelves and two-by-fourteens. You get the deal, okay? Lots of lumber. Tongue and groove flooring in every classroom. Hardwood flooring. Every classroom. The building was over 270 feet long, and it was over 70 feet wide. 
There were 12 beams that ran the length of that. There were eight two by 12s nailed together in different lengths, running the length of that building. My granddad turned in a bid in December of 1985 for $100. And he won because he was the only one that bid. And they gave him six months to tear down that school. We built three houses top to bottom out of the lumber and the stuff we took out of that school from my uncles. My granddad, we took thousands of toe sacks out of there, tongue and groove flooring, pulled every nail out of that stuff and put it into a toe sack and sold it to an antique store for $100 a bag. My granddad made me a partner in his business. Now what that meant was simply he paid me and he paid me well to work from the time the sun came up in a building with no heat in January in Northeast Texas until the sun went down, stopping only when he took a break to take a break. And for that, I got paid. Now, and then I also got my whole summer after graduation to work with him as well. And he had a favorite saying during that time period, load the mule, for the mule can carry it. I was the mule. (laughs) I was a partner, but I was not a managing partner. I didn't get to help make the decisions about renting tractors and chainsaws. No, huh? not me. I wasn't a managing partner. I was just in for the labor. Have you ever thought about what it means to be a partner? with Christ and the gospel. See, the reality is for most of us in our New Testament understanding today, we want to be managing partners. And what Christ has said is, no, I just want you to be in for the labor. I'm sending you to the fields. I've given you a purpose. I've given you a focus. I came to seek and to save the lost. The decisions have already been made. Get to the field. And when I do that, from the right heart, the third part of this is when the heart matters, actions prove the difference. Have you really gotten there in your focus? Because you see, nothing's changed. 2,000 years, the purpose of the church is still the same. And, and so if I've gotten there in my focus, then what proves itself is what happens in my heart. I want you to look at verses 8 and 9. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. Now, I want you to understand something. Zacchaeus is not saved because of what he does. Okay, look at verse 7. Jesus wants to come to his house. He tells him, Zacchaeus, hurry up, climb down, verse 5. Today I want to come to your house. And the Bible says that Zacchaeus received him joyfully. Joy came to the home. Okay? And, And joy is the indication of the heart change. See, joy is different than happiness. Happiness is contingent upon my circumstances. If it's a good day, I'm happy. If it's a bad day, I'm unhappy. Joy is the same regardless of what's going on around me. My circumstances do not control my joy. 
My joy is based in Christ, and it is a peace that supersedes all understanding and all misunderstanding. And so joy has already come to the house. He has received him joyfully, and the change has already come. And then the change begins to prove itself as genuine because of his actions. What Zacchaeus says is, I'll give half of what I have to the poor. And, and, if I have extorted anything from anybody, I'll pay it back four times. And Jesus says, look, this is what happens when a heart changes. When a heart changes, it shows. It shows in the way I talk and walk and and act and interact and react and, and all of those things. It shows joy changes who I am. The Levitical system had three different levels of restitution that somebody had to make. If you stole something from somebody, we read about this in Leviticus 6. If you stole something from somebody and you were walking along the road and and you got convicted in your heart about what you had taken and you wanted to return it, the law required that you take it back and you add one-fifth of the value. You can read about this in Leviticus 6, 1 through 7. You had to add one-fifth to the value of what you had stolen and you had to make a sacrifice of forgiveness to the Lord. So you, you took back what you stole, you added a fifth of the value to it, and then you went to church and confessed your sin and made a sacrifice to the Lord. If somebody stole something, Exodus 22, if somebody stole something and while they have that in their possession, they got caught. Okay, they're not convicted of their sin. They just got caught with their hand in the cookie jar. The word of God required that they pay back double. So they had to give back what they stole and they had to add full value to it. Okay, so if you stole $100, you had to give back the 100 you took and add another 100 to it. If you had taken something and you used it for yourself so that you could not restore, and we also read about this in, Leviticus, I mean, in Exodus 22, so that you could not give back the thing that you took, the law required that you had to pay back four times what you took. Zacchaeus doesn't quibble. He doesn't argue. He just says, Lord, half of it's gone, and if I've stolen, I'm going straight to the fourth, I'm, to the four times. I'm going straight to the top because here is what he figured out. Nothing that I have in this world equals the value of what I have found in Jesus Christ. When we understand that the heart is what really matters and I truly understand that I have been sought and I have been saved, then my heart begins to change. Joy comes into my life, and joy comes into my life. It sets my house in order. Has joy truly set the order of your house? Do you get up and think, today, Lord, today, regardless of what comes, good, bad, up, down, Bad, expensive, cheap, whatever it is. Today, Lord, your joy, your place, your presence, your purpose in everything that I do. Do your actions show that joy has really come to your heart? That, that, that all that is really there? And, 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 and see, the honest truth is for some of us today, we need to be restored. 
as believers, it happens. We adopt the ways of the world. Because we, we see people getting ahead, we think they're rich. And so maybe we think, you know what, it'll be okay. How I get there doesn't really matter. As long as I get there to the end, right, and, and, I, and I can justify because I, I want all this stuff so I can do more. God, I want a better car so I can use it for your glory. I want a bigger house so I can invite people in my Bible study group to come over, Lord, and, and, and I want stuff. I want power so I can make people follow you. No. No. How I get there matters. And if I get there according to the ways of the world, then I've done it wrong. And, and, and what happens is I need to confess and I need to fall on my face. And, and the beautiful thing is the restorative process is so simple. If I confess my sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So simple. And there's some believers here this morning that maybe that's where we are. We just need to fall on our face before God and say, God, I am sorry. I adopted the pattern of the world, and I need your forgiveness. And the beauty is, he does. There are probably some of us here this morning, and the honest truth is, we really don't know that we've been found. Oh, man, maybe we're in the church we got a bunch of knowledge that we've accumulated. We know a bunch of stuff about Jesus. We know a bunch of stuff about the Bible. But the truth is the evidence of our life gives no evidence that our heart's ever been changed. Man, we're in the church. We've been baptized. But there's no joy. There's no peace. My life is determined by the circumstances, stuff that goes around and honestly, some of us, sometimes we get so much into the church and so ingrained into the stuff of church that our hearts actually get calloused. And God tries. He begs. He pleads. It's not his will that any should perish, but that everyone come to everlasting life. But my heart sometimes gets so callous that that truth can't penetrate. And what God needs to do today in your life is shave some of the bunions off your heart soften you and what you really need to do today is call upon the name of the Lord and be saved not caring what anybody else thinks doesn't matter what anybody else says do you know that you've been sought and found and that if you died today you would have a relationship with Jesus Christ forever in eternity Jesus told a parable of two sons. Father went to the first son and said, will you go to the fields? And the first son said, you bet, Dad, I got it covered. I'm there. I'm here for you, man. It's my joy in life to live for you. Second son said, absolutely not, Dad. I got better plans. Going to hang out with my friends. We're going to do some stuff. I don't have time to go to the field. Jesus continued the parable, and he said the, the first son didn't go, even though he said he would. The second son said he wouldn't, went. 
And Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, which one did the will of the Father? They knew the right answer. They even knew that it was about them. The one who went. The one who did what the Father wanted. And what's Father want for you today? What's God want in your life, your heart, your home? Just before I came here as pastor in November of 1999, Y2K was coming. Remember that? Y2K, man, we were scared to death. world was going to end. Computers were going to shut down. They were going to freak out. They weren't smart enough to figure out that it was the year 2000. Prince even sang a song about that. He found out the reality of what happens when the world's in a few months ago. You can laugh. That's okay. Y2K, man, we spent money, government, cities, businesses, personal. We did everything that we could to prepare for the end of the world, and it didn't happen. What if it's today? What if today is the day that the father says, son, go. Go. And there are members of our family who are lost. Members of our community and our our sports teams and, and, and our businesses and people that we interact every day with who are lost, who don't know the truth. What if it's today? Have we done everything to protect our eternity like we did everything to protect our stuff? What's the Father want? Hadn't changed 2,000 years. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What are we going to do with our heart? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you're a Lord, that you're a God, that you're a creator. You are sustainer. Father, you have equipped and called those who are here to be a part of your work. And Father, this morning, I just ask you to speak to hearts. There are some of us, Lord, this morning as believers, we are pursuing the wrong things in the wrong way. And and Lord, it's just time to fall on our face and say, I need your forgiveness. God, there are some here this morning, and the honest truth is you are pursuing their heart. You are calling. You are begging. You are pleading. You are saying, look what I did on the cross through my one and only, only begotten, never-to-be-duplicated son, Jesus Christ. He died for you. And, Lord, this morning, there are some people who need to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. God, soften hearts, rub out the calluses, get our hearts right before you, that today there will be rejoicing in the presence of the angels of heaven. God, there's some of us here this morning, and your agenda needs to set our agenda. Your heart for people needs to begin to drive what we do, and and God, some of us just need to come and fall on our face and say, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, Lord, I'm here. Nothing's changed. You're still God. 
So, Father, I ask you to take this time and I ask you to, to speak to hearts, God, to open our altar, to, to open us to what you want to do for your glory. Add to your kingdom, add to this church. God, do what only you can do, change lives. And we pray this this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.